Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Donna Emil, and today on Raise the Line, I'm happy to be joined by Gary Johnson, who is a partner and consultant at Monarch Pathways, a management consultant company focused on leadership development and workplace culture. Gary has particular experience in the relationship between frontline staff and their leaders. He spent most of his career in leadership roles in the behavioral health and senior living fields. He's a licensed nursing home administrator and has been an adjunct faculty member at Temple University. Thanks so much for being with us today, Gary. Hey, how are you? I'm good. I'm glad to be interviewing you today because Gary is my buddy (laughs) and just a cool guy. So this is a really good way to start 2021 for me anyway, with some friends. All right, good. And me too. So can you start just by telling us a little bit about your background and some of your career highlights? Yeah. So just a little bit about my background. I started my professional career really as a nursing assistant many years ago and progressed through various different things to become a chief operating officer of a a fairly large company. And then I jumped out of that. I turned 55 and thought like, oh, you know, for the the last third of my career, what do I want to do? And I jumped out of that into this startup company really about risk management. And their purpose really was to bring love into the workplace how to warm up the relationship between frontline staff and whoever they would think of as supervising them or primarily caring for them. So that's really been my passion my whole career. So I thought like, yeah, that'd be kind of a neat thing to jump into. So that's kind of a quick thumbnail sketch. I don't know, Jenna, have you ever had someone work through what your personal mission statement is? No, not personal mission statement. Mm Mm-mm. I've worked through kind of my personal mission statement, which is I want to use my skills and talents to help people less fortunate or less privileged to level the playing field. Like, so that's what I'm devoted my life to. That's awesome. And it's nice if you can have your personal mission and your work mission line up, right? Yeah. So that's kind of, that's a little, little glimpse. I love that. Talk to me a little bit more about that in in particular. So it's interesting that you started off like your career as a CNA and then now, you know, talking about the relationship between frontline workers like CNAs, I think about CNAs immediately. I think about nurses. Yes, I'm biased. I'm a nurse. I think about our physicians and those that, you know, supervise or manage them. So how did that come to be? What have you learned? And, And I'm just more curious, you know, what was the catalyst to say, we need to do something to address this relationship, this workplace relationship between the frontline workers and the leaders. Like, how did that come up? You may have started off, you know, with a a CNA job or, you know, an LPN or whatever. Yeah, I started off as a medical assistant, actually. I remember when you were a medical assistant and you said like, oh, come on, like, I think I can do better than this. (laughs) (laughs) I say it as a nurse. (laughs) Yeah, right. No, same thing. And you think like, well, if I could ever get in a position where I could change that, I would do that. When I was a CNA, I thought like, wow, like really, this is what we're doing? So I was always interested to say like, yeah, if you could get in a place where you could architect a different environment for people, what would that be like? So I kind of wandered into 
social scaffolding, which is a I think really out of Europe, which is about how to help people learn by forming a scaffold around them that you then take away. And I kind of wandered into deliberately developmental organizations. So organizations that are they produce a product or they do healthcare, but they're really all about learning. Mm-hmm. And that led me to what I've really wandered into now, which is using Montessori techniques and really being inspired by by the Montessori way of, of learning. So I'm spending most of my time with using a Montessori approach to folks with dementia, yeah, but also using Montessori approaches to staff. And in various industries, healthcare would be one, but we also work with manufacturing firms, shipyards, electric line workers. It's all kind of the same when it comes to that. So it's a different way of people relating together. And that's that's Montessori's genius. Montessori's genius was like, if a student's having trouble learning, it's probably the teacher, not the student. And so the student really knows a way. They know a path. And it's us that gets in the way. Right. Yeah. And the thing I love about osmosis is Montessori's other big thing is everything's way too fast. So we need to approach people at their speed. So that means a smaller dose of learning. Right. Like we're giving people all their blood pressure medicine for the whole month at once, as opposed to saying, no, you need small dose in order to maintain your blood pressure. So that was her thought about learning. And when you slow down and, and do that way, people do amazing stuff. Yeah, you're right. And it's kind of amazing. It's amazing CNAs and medical assistants can do the heroic work they do in spite of an organization. Kind of what I say. It's bigger than that, right? You know, it's got to be about the patients and the community and, you know, the society that you serve, even in, in an organization that you feel like is not the best place where you're able to grow and learn in that way. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things I ran across in my career was this concept of an expressive organization. Mm -hmm. So it's the idea kind of, I think what you were just saying is the kind of the idea that if you're an organization that believes in, let's say you're a hospital. And so part of what you believe in is health, right? Obviously. It's one thing to use staff to help a resident or a patient to get healthy it's another thing to say that's who you are as an organization. So you apply that same thing to staff, to vendors, to volunteers. Like it's all about who you are as a company. Interesting. And so kind of what I've found is a lot of places use staff as a tool to accomplish something mm-hmm. as opposed to saying they're the same human being as anybody else. So how do we how do we apply our same values to them in in a way that makes sense? And that's really very challenging when you get down to it. It's very complex. It has to be. And, you know, here at Osmosis too, we're very values oriented organization. So a lot of what we're trying to instill in the company is as a product and in our customers. Also, we try to instill that into the team. Right. And so that makes complete sense what you're saying. And it does make a difference when you can align values personally, like you spoke about earlier and professionally. I think that's when we get to the point where it's, you can say, I do what I love and like honestly mean that in that way. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Talk to us a little bit about Monarch Pathways and what your role is there specifically as a consultant and you know, just what, what does Monarch do for their clients? What's that work like? So we kind of have 
three aspects to the company right now. Okay. So the uh, first and founding aspect was risk management. And so the Monarch was a, maybe what you might think as a traditional risk management company that we would come in and try to help folks reduce their workers' comp costs. What was really interesting is if you have all the basic stuff about reducing risk, you know, like uh, what you would think of as a traditional safety committee, do an accident investigation, some different things. The biggest predictor of safety is emotional safety, not physical safety. Interesting. So the biggest predictor of you being able to leave work not being injured is how emotionally safe you felt. Right. So it didn't have to do with mechanics of if you're a CNA, do you know and understand having effectively trained on a two person lift? Right. It doesn't have much to do with that, to be honest with you. So Gallup has some great data over 160 countries saying that if you can increase essentially emotional safety, you can predictively reduce both patient incidents and staff injuries by uh, like an average of 70%, right? And so they're able to do that by saying, if you are if you have an engaged team, so if you're working in a place where your opinions count, mm-hmm. you'll be less likely to be injured. Interesting. So, so it's like a no-brainer. Like I'll give you a story is I got flown down to Kentucky because there was a young woman who had a terrible injury. She was in her early 20s and she had a resident who had a pig tube and was falling out of bed. So she ran behind him and grabbed him underneath his, his armpits and pulled him up, and which is you know not good for the resident, but she also popped three discs in her back. Mm. She was like 22. Yikes. And you know, it's a serious enough injury that they would fly someone me, like me down there to, to say like, how did this happen? You know, this is gonna cost us a fortune. So, you know, I, they had her come in when I went down there and I asked her, I said, so tell me what happened. So she said, oh, I saw someone falling out of bed. And I said, no, no, no. Tell me about your whole day. Like, how did it start? Like, just walk me through what it was like to be you that day. She said, oh, I came into work and the nurse said to me the first thing, I had a bad night. I don't want to hear anything out of you today. So that's, so I said, so she said, I'm new. I thought like, I can't, like, I better not bother her today. Came to be lunchtime. Her partner went to lunch. They split their break and partner went to lunch. She saw the person falling. She looked down the hall. She saw the nurse talking to another nurse and said, I can't call her. So what am I supposed to do? So my point is the cause of that injury was a lack of emotional safety, right? So that's the traditional part of Monarch is looking at how do we have people not feel like they have to walk on eggshells, but they can talk to each other. Right. And if they can talk to each other, they pretty well know what's going to keep them safe. We started working with a company out of Cleveland that really deals with a very just I've never seen anything like it in my all my years. They have an incredible way of approaching residents with dementia using Montessori techniques so they approach residents where they can eliminate psychotropic medications, they can significantly decrease antidepressants. But as they're implementing these techniques, you know, it's kind of subtle teaching staff a new way. And if the staff don't stay, right, then right. you got to teach a new person. Right. And so we kind of came alongside them to say like, yeah, 
let's try to use these same techniques on staff. And so my, my role really was related to, I'm sort of stuck on that issue of frontline people. Yeah. Like how do frontline people experience the best of who we are and be, can become the best versions of themselves? So some companies that we're working with are doing amazing things. Like they're, I'm just like completely in awe. So that's the second thing that Monarch was really doing. And I'd say, I'd say the third thing that we're approaching is, is trying to, we started working in Europe and trying to sort of think about how these things are impacted within distinctly different cultures mm. and completely different languages. Um, yeah. So we started working in France and, and in Switzerland, and that's kind of the next sort of foray. That's exciting. Do you yeah. think then, you know, in your experience and in your opinion, if we talk about, you know, what the root cause is of the relationship between frontline workers and, you know, the managers or the, whoever's supervising them and this sometimes negative or poor relationship, would you say that that root cause is emotional, what you're talking about, that emotional health and wellness and even support hasn't really been addressed for a lot of time? That's a great question. So let me answer that in two ways. In the past, you know, five years ago, and even and going way further back than, than that, the typical worker was probably more, had more alliance with positional authority. Mm -hmm. And so they would make maybe whatever their performance review was at the year mattered to them. That's another thing which you don't want to get me talking on because <laughs> I, I, I hate performance reviews and don't see anything good coming out we'll of them. We'll skip but that question. I'll cross it. Yeah. <laughs> so before, the positional authority was important. And so they used to say people didn't leave a job, they left their supervisor, right? You maybe have heard that. I don't think that's true anymore. What's really changed is it's now more horizontal. And so the positional authority isn't, near as important as the people that they're working alongside. So that's one way to answer that, your question. And I think the second way to answer that is we have used terms and structures that are not helpful. So I don't think many people, you know, if you think of your family and your father, you probably rarely called him my manager. Like, oh, that's my manager. That's my supervisor, <laughs> right? Right, yeah. And I, I don't think many people function well in these sort of artificial boxes. So, you know, even most organizational charts are boxes. Yeah. So I think the structure is wrong. And if you change the structure environment, people would behave differently. So, you know, Montessori is a good, her methods really illuminate something really very interesting. So she took schools where kids were struggling or got expelled. And she said, I bet if I build a different type of school, the children would behave differently. Hmm. And I bet if I changed the teachers from saying, I'm going to teach to saying, all I want you to do is be a detective. I don't want you to teach. In fact, I don't really want you to have a lot. You don't need to come as a traditional teacher. Your job is to be a professional observer and like to subtly observe and prepare the way for folks to take their own path. So I think the answer to why that 
the relationship is so frayed between frontline workers and their supervisors is a result of it's shifting so that the person who has some tenuous authority has even less authority now because people don't really even care what this thinks. Mm-hmm. I was walking down the hall one place and a nursing assistant had just had her performance review. I was walking with the CEO and she was walking ahead of us. I don't think she knew she, we were behind her. And the nurse had just given her a performance review. The first trash can she came up to, she threw it in a trash can. Wow. So I followed her the next, I found her the next day and I said like, Hey, I saw you threw that in a trash can. She goes, Oh yeah. And I like, who cares about that? (laughs) So that's a little tenuous. The relationship with the manager is super tenuous because most of them aren't available. They're in meetings. They're not, they're not observing things. So they're hearing things third hand. They're not immersed. They're not there to observe things. Right. And I think the the last thing is we've got the wrong language is important. Mm-hmm, I agree. And so using words like manager, supervisor, all those sorts of things really say you've got positional authority over me. I'm much like places that are thinking of different language. Like I'm not a manager, I'm an architect. Right. I'm architecting space where people can be at their best. Interesting. I'm not a leader. I'm a nurse, but my job isn't like the head nurse or my job is I'm a teacher. Yeah. So I'm here teaching. That's what I'm doing. Like we're all about learning. So I think we're, we we got to shift into a different structure. 30% of people across the country are engaged, 70% are not. Like you got to have something radical to change that. Yeah. I mean, that's a serious number. You know, as you're talking, I'm thinking about the younger generations that are entering the workforce. I think about you know, the younger generations that's entering nursing right now, for instance, or anywhere in the healthcare field, how does this conversation change when we talk about this relationship and the work that we have to do to make sure that we really are facilitating something that's safe and that's like an actual pleasant culture to work in? What does that look like to you for a generation, you know, that that's coming in now that's much younger? Yeah, great question. I'll answer that in two ways. I often will ask executive teams, what would it look like if you had 90% of your staff engaged? And typically they won't be able to answer that question. They say, I don't know what it would look like. I have no idea. Never been close. <laughs> Never, yeah. But so let me tell you about some of the world-class places that are, and these are nursing homes. One is in a not the best community in, in Los Angeles. It's It's not it's a challenging environment, safety-wise. But what it looks like for, for them, and this is about the closest picture I can give you, is they don't come into a set job description. So their CEO said, I don't want boxes, I want puzzle pieces. Mm. So the nursing assistants come in and write the job description. As an example, they have the typical things that are in their, in their job description, but if their background is dancing, they write it right into their job description that I'm going to be able to dance here. Every staff that comes in there has a business card. Oh, wow. It's not just the CEO. One of the things I love that they do is all staff are, I wouldn't say required, they're strongly encouraged to daydream. Like So that's part of their job. Every week they need to daydream. When Someone is hired there on their first day. The kitchen prepares a meal for them to take home to their family. That's pretty incredible. So it looks like a different environment. And when you walk onto the campus, it feels different. 
So their CEO did a couple of really cool things. He said, I want to know what it sounds like to be on our campus. So we hired a musician to come in and create what each department sounded like. We did that by doing engagement scores and then turning those scores into music, right? So I think that starts to get at what it would look like. And they they score world-class in employee engagement. So these are this is a rough and tumble place that's right at the top of the heap. So I think they've changed their work so that they're all about learning instead of about, they just happen to be a CCRC. Okay. Right? Okay, but they're mostly about how does everybody become the best version of themselves? Yeah, that's pretty fantastic. And I think one thing, you know, I'd love for you even just to touch on is it's not just that we make this amazing workplace, but this has a direct impact on outcomes, right? On patient outcomes and the residents in the nursing homes, right? That, that's got to equate to that. Shocking, shocking. Excellent. Like, so what could be better than a secure dementia unit where the waiting list goes up, the psychotropic use is eliminated, antidepressant use is significantly decreased, the residents in a secured dementia unit are running their own store without any staff interaction. You know, it goes on and on from there. When you allow people to blossom, it's pretty neat what they become. Now, let me just say real quickly, when if you go to a Montessori school, they're actually very quiet. Like these are kids with, you know, that struggled and been expelled from, from other schools. So I think it has a direct impact on your product in, in case in, in this case your product in healthcare is resident care but you know you might be producing magnets so you have a product that you're producing it it eliminates waste you know it, it just it has all kinds of good outcomes yeah what would you say to you know our audience we we have early healthcare professionals students you know folks that are in the fields initially their first role they're getting into the field in their first role what would be advice that you would give to them around this this very thing, especially as I think about some of our younger, you know, generation that's entering the frontline workforce to to meet the challenges of the moment in healthcare, but also how do they be the, become the architect and the leader even in the role? Sometimes that opportunity feels like it gets lost in frontline workers that feel like I'm just a CNA, I'm just a nurse that's here. And what you spoke about very earlier about like just recognizing things that should change and aren't really working well, but they have a difficult time communicating that, you know, what's the advice that you give to help to bridge that gap and to allow them to lead in that way? I was just telling some of this last night. I envy a younger person right now. This is the perfect time to jump into the world because how messed up are we? We're like screwed up. Yeah, And so this is a great time to come in and say like, yeah, there's a lot of people that would like things different. So I would say, boy, you have much more opportunity than you probably suspect that you do. People are ready for a change of to something more so than they've been in years. So this is a good time. The second thing I'd say it would be a challenge is if you tell me that you love your residents and you love the folks that you work with, but yet you're afraid to talk about something that's not working well for them. Mm -hmm. You can't sort of say, I love them, but I won't do this. Part of loving someone is really doing things that are difficult. Yeah, it's true. And so I think we need more love 
really than less. And so, yeah, I think those two things I'd say. That's impactful. Gary, thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, hey, it's good seeing you. Yeah, you too. This was fantastic. I'm Jonna Emil. Thanks for checking out today's show. Remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line. We're all in this together. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast.